So, all right. Uh, we're wrapping up this thousand-week series called The Ghost. And uh, we've been looking at the significance of how significant it was for Jesus to leave this earth and for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, this is what would launch the church into its global ministry. Remember, Jesus was ministering in ancient Palestine. He would walk here, he would walk there, and he would minister where he was. But he was saying, greater works than these than I do shall you do because I go to the Father. So it's incredibly significant that he goes to the Father and sends the promised Holy Spirit. Now, although his followers were pretty nervous about him leaving, Jesus couldn't have been clear about what was going to happen. He warned them. He told them what was going to be coming uh, down the pipe. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, I'm leaving, the Spirit is coming, and it's good news. Candidly speaking, friends, candidly speaking, the odds were against the church. This small town carpenter and his nervous followers and his confused followers, they get scattered and maligned and persecuted. And yet, he said the Holy Spirit would bring those very same followers power. Jesus was right. It happened. Now think about this. What are the odds that we would be here 2,000 years later? Now think about this sometimes. If we're able to go back to the first century and see what was happening there for what it really was back then, you'd see on the one hand we have Jesus and his 12 disciples. On the other hand, you have the incredibly powerful global Roman Empire, one and the other. Who would you have put your money on to see who would still be around 2,000 years later? Yet, here we are. After two millennia, after two millennia, we give our children names like Peter and John and Paul and Mary. We give our dogs names like Sir, uh, Nero and Caesar. <laughs> the church has remained in power. All right, so this morning we're going to look together at something that the Holy Spirit said to people just like us. And to do that, I'm going to start us in the book of Revelation because there is a section there where letters are sent out to seven churches. And these letters had great importance back then, and they are equally important today. And of these seven letters, the last one is written to a church in a city called Laodicea. And here's what it says to them in Revelation chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this. Now, it probably is not referring to a literal angel then. Uh, for... <coughs> For several different reasons, there are. Uh, it was common for them to refer to the pastor or leader of a church in that in that time uh, as the angel, you know, much like the way you refer to me when you speak of others, the angel of the life church. Anyway, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you. Now spew sounds like spit, but it's not really like spit, it's more like barf. I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. So this text begins with a striking metaphor. It's a picture of a gag reflex. You know what a, a gag, anybody here ever had a gag reflex? Okay? You put something in your mouth and immediately you want to hurl? That's a gag 
class right there. When I was a kid, nothing gave me a gag reflex except peas. The green peas are the most disgusting pseudo-food on this planet. They're not even food. They're like rabbit toads. No one should ever, ever have to eat them. But, okay, so imagine being in church at Laodicea, and God says, there's a couple things that turn my stomach, a couple things that make me want to hurl. That's what God says. That's surprising language for the Bible, but here it is. So why is there this, this real strong reaction from God about Laodicea and its people? Um, I'll get into that in a second, but let's just read a little bit further here, starting with verse 16. It says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, God says, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. These are all very pointed and specific comments from God to the Laodiceans. It's talking about gold and clothes and eye salve. I mean, what is that all about? Again, I'll explain that in just a second. Just go a couple of verses further here. Uh, we're going to look at verses 19 and 22. It says, God speaks here and says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, God says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. Verse 22. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So whoever has ears, this is a, a cultural way of saying, this is for every, everybody. You got ears? Then listen. Listen to what the Spirit is saying here. What he's saying to the churches. In our day, we might say, anybody with half a brain should be able to understand this. He's saying it's, it's for everybody. Okay. Something about the Laodicean, Laodicean's posture bothered God because he's seeing something different than what human eyes are seeing with them. So what is it? Two primary things. The first one is this. It is the sin of self-sufficiency. Say that with me. Self-sufficiency. This is the, the sin of pride and arrogance that says, I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. My abilities are adequate. I don't need to depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't need to surrender every day. I don't need to fall on my knees in humility. I don't need to submit to a community or to accountability or any of that stuff. I'm fine. When we declare our independence like that, God says, that turns my stomach. Turns my stomach. So you have to wonder what it is about this church in Laodicea that would tempt people to be so self-sufficient, to stiff-arm God. So let me just tell you a little bit about this city, their people, and their mindset. First, Laodicea was located very, very strategically in that part of the world at that time. There was a place called the Lycos Valley where three major highways came together and they intersected there. Essentially, if you wanted to get from Europe by land to the Middle East or to Africa, you had to go through Laodicea. Now, this city had very, very high ethnic diversity. And all of a sudden, because of um, the Roman highway system and because of Pax Romana, which is the peace that Rome brought about because of their dominance, um, all kinds of economic opportunities became available. This city, Laodicea, was incredibly wealthy. It had more money by far than any of the other communities or churches that the Holy Spirit addresses in these seven letters. And it's, 
I mean by far. And it's not old money. It's not like old line money like we think of Boston and Philadelphia and things like that. No, this is like Dubai. This is new money, okay? Um, the Laodiceans were the envy of their world. They thought, they thought big thoughts. In fact, in 26 AD, they put in a bid to build um, a big temple for the Emperor Tiberius uh, at that time. And in our day, it would be similar to uh, an ambitious city putting in a bid to host the Olympics because it would be really prestigious. So they put in this bid, but Rome gets back to them and says, sorry, Laodicea, you don't have what it takes. And the Laodiceans said, oh yeah? We'll show you, Rome. And for the next 30 years, this city became an economic dynamo. I mean, it was the greatest proliferation of wealth in their day from that period from about 26 AD up till about 60 AD where something incredible happened. There was a massive earthquake that took place that pretty much devastated the city of Laodicea. The Roman government at the time offered them financial assistance, kind of like FEMA in our day, but ancient, so they were probably faster than FEMA. So, and the city actually tells Nero, tells Rome, thanks, but no thanks. No thanks. And the, the Roman historian Tacitus uh, comments on this, and here's what he wrote. He said, one of the most famous cities of Asia was, in that time, this is, he's talking about Laodicea, uh, was in that same year, 60 AD, overthrown by an earthquake, and without any relief from us, no, meaning no financial assistance from Rome, Rome whatsoever, they recovered itself by its own resources. This was an extraordinary act of resourceful, resourcefulness, one that put the city of Laodicea in the annals of Roman history. And the uh, Laodiceans had a, a town motto, uh, much like some of the cities in our day have a, a, a motto. For example, like the city of New York. New York is the city that never sleeps, right? Then there's Las Vegas, who says, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, Minot, North Dakota, has a, uh, has a motto as well. It's one of the most extreme cities in the, in the United States up in the way, way up in the north, and they have horrible weather. And when you drive into that city, there's a plaque there that, that says, why not my not? And if you go there, you would know why. <laughs> Somebody actually stuck a poster on that plaque at one time that says, freezing's the reason. <laughs> That's why not, right there. <laughs> okay, so the, the town model for Laodicea was this. It was, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. Do not need a thing. That's who they were. That was Laodicea. This town was a, a leader in technology and cultural trends. They developed a textile industry. Think about this. This is like two millennia ago. They developed a textile industry that produced expensive garments made of black wool. And this impressed people everywhere and became a very large export item. Uh, Well-dressed people from all over the Roman Empire ordered their togas from Laodicea because it was a status symbol. It also became famous as an educational center that featured, among other things, a very prestigious medical school. They were believed to have developed the very first medicines to treat eye disorders back in that day. They created an eye salve that was exported all over the world. In fact, there are still ancient coins that had images on them of Laodicean doctors of that day because they were so famous. 
There were leaders in several fields, and the money just kept pouring in to Laodicea. They were smart, they were well off, and they earned it. They were in control. So, in the middle of all this affluence, in the middle of all this innovation and technology and significance, <laughs> in this self-sufficient city of Laodicea that did not need FEMA, sat a self-sufficient church that thought it didn't need the Holy Spirit. And God speaks to them. Because their attitude was for rich. We don't need a thing. Isn't God lucky to have us on his side? Oh my goodness, imagine what God could do for the kingdom through amazing people like us. It turns God's stomach. The kingdom is not built on that kind of attitude. And so the Spirit says, hey, church at Laodicea, you don't realize your true condition. It's interesting to me that the Spirit does not say, okay, you're rich and educated, you're well off, you don't have many needs. So just stay humble. Keep your perspective. Be generous. Be kind. Watch your attitude. It doesn't say that's your true condition. He says, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Truth is, that's, that's the human condition for everybody, but the self-sufficient person usually doesn't know it. So God says, that's your true condition. That's your real condition. But I don't want you to stay that way because I love you. I've got better things for you. So in verse 18, he goes a bit further, and God says, I counsel you. Say those three words with me. I counsel you. He's saying to them, I'll counsel you if you let me do it. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a counselor, just like we talked about the first couple of weeks of the series. He says, I'll counsel you. Get your gold from me. Forget about that gold that you're so proud of that you think you can use to engineer your security and your significance. Don't let it fool you. Don't clutch that gold. Get the real thing from me. Get what's going to last. God is saying to them. Then the Spirit goes on and says, I know all about your clothes. I know about that black bowl that you're famous for and you're designing labels that I'm going to do you even better. I'll give you white clothes to wear. Some of you think, oh, I don't look good in white. <laughs> but understand that when the Spirit says white, he's talking about being clothed in God's righteousness. So God's saying, let me do a makeover on you. Because you don't realize it, but your spiritual nakedness, your self-sufficiency is showing. So you might as well, but I, I wrestle with this. I get blind to my own neediness. Way too often I'll turn over to God when I'm, when I'm in pain or I'm in crisis or I need something really bad. And then when things level out, we kind of forget all about God's help. We think, oh, okay, I figured it out. I'm okay now. <laughs> we forget all about God. And we need to get this right, friends. We need to understand this deep, deep, deep in our souls. We never say that prideful stuff out loud because we're too spiritually sophisticated. I remember a while back, Bonnie and I uh, worked in ministry with a guy, a real sharp guy, very, very capable, sharp guy. And we were in a small group together. We were talking, and he was sharing about his, all of his successes along the way and how uh, he was such a diligent planner and that he was real savvy with money. And he actually said these words, I struggle to see how I need God. I struggle to see how I need God. This is a believer. And I remember shuddering hearing that. I can just picture God saying, you don't need me. Oh, you don't need me. Understand that you are 
wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked when you have that perspective. I think a lot about this passage because I love this church, but this is, this is true about us. We live in Laodicea, man. Quite often we get caught up in all that we have and the world that prosperity creates. We get dull to our need for God. We don't have a sense of need because generally speaking, we have what we need. I mean, God promised food and shelter and a new SUV and a 401k, right? We need God desperately and not just forget that. Everything we are, everything we have comes from Him. So, do you need to confess self-sufficiency? Is that a thing with you? Maybe it's been clutching on the gold. Maybe it's being fueled by wrong ambition. Maybe it's holding on to hurts or resentment that you think you have a right to hold on to. Maybe Jesus just wants to come to you today like he came to the lay of the scenes and said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open the door, if you just open up to me, I'll come in. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you just need to open up to God honestly and say, God, I confess, I am not self-sufficient to make all things right between you and me. I do need you. And when you come to that place, he will meet you there. He meets you there. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't stand back with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, waiting for you to clean up your act. He will meet you right there. Because he loves you. Right, now the other dynamic that the Spirit says turns his stomach is a lukewarm church. We have a lukewarm church. This is a church with no impact on the world around them. And again, here's just a little context to help us understand this hot and cold and lukewarm metaphor here. There's a town just north of Laodicea called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was the home of hot springs, and it still is today. These springs became famous and were considered to be therapeutic. Um, they were so rare that people would bring sick folks from all over the Roman Empire to come and bathe in these waters. And people still go to them today. Um, it's, I mean, you know, you've been, anybody ever sat in a jacuzzi? Man, it does the body good. It's nice. So this was famous for that. People were carted all over the Roman Empire to come, to come and sit in these hot springs. So Hierapolis becomes known as a place of healing. Now, just southeast of Laodicea is another city by the name of Colossae. Colossae was the home of cold springs, underground springs that would just bubble up out of the ground. It was the best water to drink. It was like uh, having Perrier or Evian Springs right in your town. Now, Laodicea sat right in the middle of these two cities, right between the hot springs and the cool springs. And the Laodiceans, if you remember, had a bunch of money, so they built aqueducts up to Hierapolis and then down to Colossae so they could pipe in the hot and cold water. But the problem was, by the time the water got to lay of the sea, the hot water wasn't hot and the cold water wasn't cold. It was all just kind of lukewarm and it missed the point. And this was a sore spot with the lay of the scenes and it stung their pride. And this is the backdrop for the teaching where God is talking about be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. And they understood that moment. Big time. I, I can imagine they hear these words and they go, oh, lukewarm. We gotta bring that up. That's such a source spot with us. We got such high hopes for this hot and cold water. And so God says, lukewarm, and it rings their bell. 
Now, when the Spirit tells us that someone is lukewarm, what's that saying? I, I think theologically, that's kind of on the bottom shelf. It's pretty easy to figure out. Because we all know there are people that would say that they're on fire for God. They're just, they're revved up about God. The Spirit has ignited their soul to the point where the people around them kind of feel the heat. They're passionate about God. They're passionate about God's kingdom. On the other hand, being cold is kind of self-explanatory as well. You've heard that phrase, cold and distant. It's not a compliment. <laughs> cold and distant is not a compliment. Okay, you remember we played this hiding game when we were kids, where we kind of called it like hot and cold. If you're getting close to the hidden object, someone says you're warm. You're getting warmer. You're getting hot. You're getting hot. That means you know you're getting closer and closer. But then if the person says you're cold, getting colder, you're freezing. It means you're nowhere close. And we know that that can kind of be the case for some people when it comes to their relationship with God, or lack of. They're nowhere close. They just never had that heart to seek God or know God. They just there's nothing like that. But here's a big question for people like us. Why, why, why in the world would the Holy Spirit say that he'd rather someone be cold than be lukewarm? At least with lukewarm, there's some heat, right? I mean, why wash the lukewarm up? <laughs> I think it goes all the way back down to why God created human beings to have a relationship with him. This relationship and life of, of faith. Because God has overwhelming love for us and he shows us in all kinds of ways. He gives us creation, this wonderful world through which he sustains us and blesses us and leads us into the, the best kind of life. He shows us his love through his word and how he uses his word to guide us, direct us, and lead our lives. Help us walk into a blessed life by his word. He shows us love through his son Jesus who never sinned once. Yet he paid my penalty and your penalty for sins that we committed. He paid for an expression of God's love. So God fully understands that some people just don't grasp a life of faith and trust in God. And he gets that some people badmouth them and some people turn people against him. Happens all the time. So some people are cold towards the Spirit of God, but hopefully not forever. I was cold at one time. Maybe you were too. It wasn't forever for us. But what brings God to the point where he says he wants to puke? It's when people like us, who know all these incredible things about God, what he's done for us, how he loves us, how he's demonstrated all that, we know all that, and we go, eh, yeah, yeah, I understand all that. I know, I know, I know. I know God loves me, but I just have a hard time reading the Bible. I know, I know, I know, I know Jesus paid my death penalty, but prayer just seems boring. I know, I know, I know, I know the Spirit of God lives in me, but weekends are for family and relaxing. It's hard to come to church. Or I know, I know, I know, I know God wants me to invite other people, but it just feels uncomfortable and I don't have to be uncomfortable. <laughs> We're apathetic. Uncommitted. Unenthused. Just circumstance. I'm just tired. Just tired. It's been a hectic season. 
music was better, if the preaching was better, if there's more people, I'd probably be all fired up and I'd be on board. But that's probably not this. You know what the Spirit says? If you're lukewarm, you're not seeking me. It's not circumstances. It's not somebody else's fault if you're not seeking me. You think it's all good that you need nothing, you got everything going on. I'm telling you, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and you're lukewarm. Now remember, friends, please, remember, the Holy Spirit does not condemn us. He leads us to life. He says, there's a better way, and I will help you get there. He's saying, let me lead you every single day of your life. Lead you into the life you've always wanted. To lead you into the life that Jesus died to give you. Don't be self-sufficient. Depend on me, the Spirit says. Live in connection to me. Because that's real life. That's real life. The, the simplest prayer to pray every single day is this. Holy Spirit, lead me this day. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Lead me this day. Help me to hear your voice. To sense your promptings. That is the life that Paul talks about. Coming to the life that is truly life. That's what you want. That's what you want. Let's bow your heads and pray. Lord, we're so thankful that even when you bring a word that is corrective, you do it in love. You don't condemn us. You point us to life. Lord, you tell us so, I don't know why we can be confused on this, you tell us so clearly, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It's in love. You're not condemning us. You're saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Here's the way to life. Come with me. I'll help you get there. Thank you, Lord, for your firm love. Lord, I pray for any of us here in this room that are struggling with this, that have allowed ourselves to slip into self-sufficiency, that have allowed ourselves to slip into lukewarmness. Lord, that you would arrest our souls this very day and help us to now walk in lockstep with you because you've invited us to do that. Lord, help us to put behind us, like Paul says, I lay aside every weight. I'm not looking at what's behind me. I'm, I'm focused on what's ahead. And Lord, I'm going to walk these next few steps, these next few days, these next few years, these next few decades in lockstep with I understand that that is the place where life resides and that's what I want. I believe you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, what you stand? Okay, just a couple of things real quick. Um,